0: be seated. Well, I heard Jeannie did a great job last Sunday. I certainly missed y'all. I was, like I said, I was sitting in a business meeting thinking, I cannot believe I'm not at church right now. Instead, I'm listening to this business meeting. Um, But I also heard Jeannie complain that I gave her nine chapters, which was a lot, but I heard she got through it. Um, So you'll know that when Jeannie left off, the great deliverance of God's people, they had been set free from slavery, right? That was, that was it, right? That's what God said God was going to do. They're set free. And the amazing thing is, then the story doesn't end, right? We still have a lot more chapters of Exodus. What's going to happen there? And I wonder, as I, especially as I read this passage I'm going to read to you today, if the people didn't think it was supposed to end there too. You know, like this great victory we've overcome um, And now it's over. Now the rest of our days we live in peace, you know. And we're going to see that they encounter right from the beginning in those first days more and more obstacles. And so that's a good reminder to me too that just because we see a great victory from God doesn't mean and now we get to stop, you know. We're going to keep on going. There's more to the journey. So I'm going to pick up in Exodus chapter 14. And I'm going to read you what happened um, as the people are crossing over. Let's look at this real quick. You have a map. I've given you a devotional guide in here, that's for this week, but I thought you would like to look at this map, because the path that God led them is actually, we're not totally sure, they name a lot of places, but these are places in antiquity, and so even modern scholars get frustrated because they're like, we don't know exactly where that place was that they're talking about. It's named, and I'm sure they knew where it was. It's just 3,000 years later, we don't. Um, so the red line is probably the line that they followed, okay? And you see where the red, the red line starts over here in Ramses, um, in, in the land of Goshen where they lived, goes down the Sinai Peninsula. There's a bit of, you know, a, a little bubble there, a balloon, and then goes up through um, Edom and Moab eventually to cross over the Jordan River, as we talked about. Now, is that the most direct route? When I was younger, I always thought, what is the deal with going down the Sinai Peninsula? Because that's like, that's like when your dad says, I've got a shortcut, right? <laughs> it's not. You know, it's God, hey, let's go this way. You know, like, why didn't we go this way? If you look up at the top, right under the words Mediterranean Sea, you see the way to the land of the Philistines. Well, that's where they're going, right? Why didn't they take the way to the land of the Philistines? Well, it was heavily fortified. And if you read Exodus closely, it says, God didn't take them that way because they weren't ready. They weren't ready to fight their way to freedom and they were definitely not ready to claim their inheritance yet. There's a lot they're going to learn in the wilderness that they go into the wilderness one way, they're going to come out another way. And so it's a learning God wants them to have. So that's why they go that way. So this is where where God um, is beginning to lead them into the wilderness. They're going to cross the Red Sea. That's also translated Reed Sea. Again, people don't know exactly where this is. The point is there was a giant body of water that stood in their way. So let's read about that. Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Phi-hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. "'Camp there along the shore across from Balzaphon. "'Then Pharaoh will think the Egyptians are confused. "'They are trapped in the wilderness. "'And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart "'and he will chase after you. "'I have planned this in order to display my glory "'through Pharaoh and his whole army. "'After this, the Egyptians will know I am the Lord.'" So the Israelites camped there as they were told. "'When word reached the king of Egypt "'that the Israelites had fled,' like he said for them to do. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. Don't you love that? Mm, They leave? Yes! And then here comes the army. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, all his charioteers and his troops. So here comes the might of Egypt um, after the Israelites who were just slaves um, set free. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Phi-Hahiroth across from val As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I saw something like this happen one time when I was driving down the road, something like what Israel does in this moment. There was a little cat. It was a big, busy road, and traffic was going on both sides. It was Avenue J in San Angelo. I will never forget this, and there was a little cat in the center lane, and the traffic would whiz by. It would kind of hunch up, and you could see it, you know, kind of flinch against the traffic, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm about to see a little animal die in the middle of the road, which I don't know about y'all, but I hate that, just hate that. So I'm trying to think, Kevin's in the car with me, we're trying to think what could we do to save this cat when all of a sudden, as the traffic whiz by, the cat kind of gets this wicked glint in its eyes and it's like, I know what to do, and it runs out into the middle of one of the lanes of traffic and it leaps inside a cardboard box, like you know how there's trash in the road? The cat leaps inside that piece of trash and it just stays there. And I realized that cat thinks it's safe. It's like if the ch- it would jump out, we, we actually turned around, we'd see it jumping out, kind of seeing the traffic, and then be like, base, cardboard box. Now, was it safe in the cardboard box? Heck no. Nobody could see it in there. They would just hit some car, not paying attention, would hit that cardboard box, and the cat would not be protected by those paper walls. And this is what I see Israel doing here. Here's Israel. They're trapped The two two lanes of traffic that are scaring them are the sea on one side and the Egyptian army on the other. These were terrifying, both of them. We think of the sea, and we're like a day at the beach, you know, the sun and the sand, and it's delightful. We boogie board, or, you know, we catch a fish, or, I mean, all these wonderful things. The Israelites looked at the sea and thought, death. Like, they just were deathly afraid of the sea. Kind of like Texans are deathly afraid of tall grass, right? Right? So we're like, there are snakes in there. We are not going. My mom was one time fly fishing um, up in Colorado with my brother, and the guide was leading them to the edge of the bank or whatever, and they had to go through tall grass, and they both stopped. Like, both my brother and my mom just stopped, and he turns around and he goes, you're from Texas, huh? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, and he's like, there's no snakes in here. But we're, we know if you go in tall grass, There's snakes. Well, the the Israelites, they would get to the water and they would see the equivalent of rattlesnakes. They they couldn't see the bottom. Have you ever been with, I have another friend who won't go in water past where she can see her feet. Because who knows what's going to come get her, right? I'm kind of like, you're okay, stay with me, it's all right, we're in Texas, you can't see the bottom of the river, just go with it. The Israelites would have gotten her. Like, they would have been like, yes, we are not going to go anywhere where we can't see our feet. We're keeping our feet on dry ground because there's that Leviathan creature out there and there's death and there's chaos. They were the only nation once they were established that didn't have a navy and they had a coastline. No navy. The sea was scary. They were terrified of it. That's why in Revelation, have you ever wondered about that? When Revelation, when the new earth comes, there's no sea. It's a metaphor. They were scared of the sea. So God takes away what frightens them. They're terrified of the sea. So here they are camped by what terrifies them. And they're hoping they just get to go back out because they're in this cul-de-sac, basically, with the sea, the sea, the sea, the sea, nothing else. So death, tall grass on one side. And then from behind them comes the mightiest army of the day. You know, just when they thought they were free, just when they thought it was over, here comes Pharaoh with his war machine. I mean, chariots in that day... Israel didn't have a chariot. They didn't even have one. Pharaoh gets 600 of his best and all the rest of his army, and they are barreling down, and the trap is sprung just like this, and the people are freaking out. Now, all of us, when we are in a trap, when we are stressed out, when we encounter adversity, just like Gil Rendell was talking about at annual conference, just like the guys were talking about, we all have coping strategies. And some of the Methodist church just do more of what they've always been doing, right? Well, let's work harder. What is isn't working? That's what they'll do. We, we have coping strategies, right? We, you get us stressed out, and we have something that we do, a person that we become. Some of us get really angry and snippy. Some of us get kind of vindictive when we're stressed out. We're going to lash out at somebody. Some of us withdraw into ourselves, like just shut down. We're uncommunicative. Um, Some of us make jokes when we're stressed out. Maybe you know some of those people who just make jokes. Some of us overwork. If there's a problem, then we're going to work our way out of it. Some of us worry, 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 worry. We create problems we don't even have to cope when we're stressed out. And y'all are kind of a more gentle audience because in in the first um, service, I saw all these spouses like, that's you. Now y'all can do it. Now you're like, oh, permission, okay. I mean, the reality is men and women handle stress differently, right? I mean, like some of you guys, you've been relying on your wives to cry for you for like 25 years now, right? I mean, (laughs) haven't had to shed a tear at all because the waterworks are taken care of by the gentler sex. And then some of y'all women, you know if there's going to be a big project going on, if the Christmas lights are going up or there's a major repair, it's time to get the kids out of the house so that they don't learn some new technical language. We all have these coping strategies. We all have these cardboard boxes, and they are nothing more than that. They're when we're stressed out, we learned it from our parents, we learned it growing up, we learned it somewhere that when I'm under stress, if I have something I can't deal with, I'm going to do this. And sometimes we do it without even thinking. I'm stressed so I get angry. I'm stressed so I turn to an addiction that masks my pain. I'm having a hard relationship time, so I'm going to eat. Or I'm going to watch TV and unplug or I'm going to yell, or I'm going to stay at work so I don't have to deal with it. We all have our coping strategies. We all have our cardboard boxes. For Israel, we're going to see this again and again as we go through the Exodus. We're going to see what their coping strategies are. What was the emotion? um, This is going to be a tricky question because the emotion they express is not the emotion that they're feeling. What is the emotion that they felt as the trap closed? Fear. Right. They felt fear. Now, what is the emotion that they expressed? Anger. Now, has that ever happened to you? I have, Every day, right. I have learned as a pastor, you have probably learned in life, that anger is our substitute emotion for a lot of other things. That when I encounter somebody who's angry, oftentimes they're not, they are angry, but really they're afraid, or really, they've been hurt. Or really, they feel like a failure. They feel incompetent, so they're lashing out. Or really, they're worried. And we, we default to anger because it feels so much more socially acceptable. When we're scared to be angry, it feels more powerful than to own what we're really feeling and say, I'm afraid, or someone hurt me, or I feel betrayed, or I feel like I can't handle this. And so we default to anger. We do that. There's all kinds of emotions that we choose to feel instead of what we're really feeling. That's TV too. Instead of feeling this emotion, I'm just going to watch TV and forget about it or listen to the radio or you know somehow zone out. So the people default to anger. They show it as anger. That's their first cardboard box. The second is the action that they take. Now, here they are trapped. The horror of the sea on one hand, the might of Egypt bearing down on them on one hand. What could they have done? What are their choices in there? Come on, think creatively. We're going to get in scrapes too. What could they have done? They could have gone to Moses. Yes, they could have gone to Moses and said, hey, is there a plan? (laughs) You know, right? That would have been a good thing. What did they do at first that seemed kind of good? Huh? They cried out to God. Ah! Was kind of what they said. That's an okay prayer sometimes. If you keep praying it. Prayer would have been a good answer for them. If they're stuck here, God led them here. God, what do you want to do? What should we do? That's a good answer. You know, honestly, I think giving impromptu swimming lessons would have been a positive course of action, right? I mean, uh, you know, what do we do? Well, something productive would have been like, well, let's figure out how to swim. Let's make a quick boat. Um, let's gird ourselves for battle. Let's get ready because if God led us here, then then there must be a plan, right? But instead of doing any of those things, here comes Egypt, here's the sea, they're stuck, they have minutes left to live, and you know what they decide to do? Complain. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But blame. One of the things Gil Rendell in our annual conference thing said is, when things are going wrong and you're in the wilderness, people don't look for how to fix the situation, they look for who's to blame. And they're like, it's you. It's you you are the one who put this freedom idea in our heads, right? You are the reason that there's a sea here and the army behind us. It's your fault. We're going to die. How productive is that, right? They're just, is there there one chance to get through it and they're ripping him apart? They're ripping Moses apart at that point. They yelled at him. They deny his power um, and they hide their fear in anger and in blame. Those are Those are the cardboard boxes that they use. Now, let me tell you about that cat. Let me go back to the cat. Um, Kevin said, let's pull over real quick. And um, he knew the cat was in the box and that it thought it was safe. And so what he did is he ran out into the traffic. And the traffic can actually see him, although I was a little afraid. Um, And he picked up the cardboard box and he took it out of the middle of the road. And when he opened it, there's a little cat shaking inside And we know how to pick a cat up by the scruff, you know, humane society. We got our skills. And we see it's got a little tag. And you know what? We were parked one house away from its home. One house away from its actual brick and mortar home, and it was in the box. And so we were able to take it back home and say, here's your cat. It's playing in the street, you know? So this is what Moses does basically, with the people of God. He sees a cat playing chicken in a cardboard box. And he says to them, and I love this about Moses, would that we all could be this calm when we are being attacked. Moses says to them, and they're expressing anger, and they're expressing blame, and he cuts right to the chase. He says, don't be afraid. I know what's going on here. You are scared. Don't be scared. Now, does this work? Have you ever had a panicky person tell you not to panic? Don't panic! I mean, that doesn't work, right? The reason that Moses could say this is because their leader was not panicking. Is that while they all lost their minds, Moses stayed focused on God. Moses remembered, God has gotten us this far. God will not abandon us now so don't be afraid we don't see the way through don't be afraid so the emotion not to feel when you're panicking calm be calm find a person who's calm and have them tell you be calm okay how do you do that and then have them teach you how they're calm when when others are panicking so that's the first thing And then what he tells them to do. So he addresses their emotion and then he addresses the action. And y'all, there are times that Moses will tell the people, it's time to move or it's time to pray or it's time to purify yourselves or we need to build a home for God or we need to march all night or we need to gather food. He will give them actions to do and they will do them. This time he says, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. All you need to do in this moment is be calm, plant your feet, and watch because God is going to deliver you. That's awesome, but that's hard for us too, right? We're like, we want to do something. Moses says, just stop, stand still, and watch. God is going to get you out of that cardboard box and into the safety of your real home if you just trust him. Just lay the fear down. And so this is, he says, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And then I love this. This is what God says. I'm sure Moses was a little freaked out by this point too, because here comes the might of Egypt. What God does is um, the pillar of fire that was guiding them moves around behind them and blocks off the Egyptian army. So it's the middle of the night. The fire protects their back. God wanted to free them from always looking over their shoulder because God knew Pharaoh's coming after them eventually. He changes his mind. And so God wanted them to get there so that he could eliminate that threat from behind them for the rest of their lives. So he blocks off with the fire, and Moses is praying to him apparently. And I love what God says in verse 15. Then the Lord says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? you think like, uh, that's obvious, right? I mean, we're in a bind. He says, tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Well, duh. I mean, sorry, God. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't know to do that. God's like, okay. You know, once they stand still, once they trust, Moses is crying out. Moses is praying. God's like, hey, stop the praying. Got the action plan. Raise your hands. And the the strongest wind the people have ever felt blows across the sea. And these two walls of water part and they run through the middle of what they fear the most. And as soon as all of their feet reach the other side, God says, Moses, put your arms down, and all of those chariots that are clamoring through the sea are swallowed up. It's amazing. But you know that's not the end of the story. We're going to keep going past there. We're going to see they get in scrapes again. Just like we do. And so I want y'all this week to think, what is my box? Where do I default to when I'm in trouble, when I'm scared, when I'm afraid? What are my paper shields I hold up to the world that are not really helping? And you may be sitting next to somebody who can help you figure out what that is. Be gentle with each other. So that this week, when you are when you feel stressed, when you feel attacked, when you feel trapped, instead of jumping into that cardboard box, instead of drowning out what you're feeling or um, lashing out or withdrawing, that you'd poke your head out of the box and look for where God is. Look for where home is. Look for where safety is and say, God, how can I face this? What do you want me to do? May your peace be with me so that I can face this calmly. I want you to think this week, what is it that's chasing you? It's always at your back that maybe God says, this week, it's the week to turn around and face it. This week is victory week. This week is plant your feet and say, no more paper boxes. No more false hope. This week I stand with God. This week I'm not afraid anymore. Let's pray. God, I pray that just like um, your people long ago We wouldn't see one great victory and think it's the end of all that we have to have faith in you for. That we would learn to have faith in you even when we feel trapped, even when the greatest army is bearing down on us and the terror of the sea is ahead of us. That just like Moses, we would just call out to you and we would hear what to do, how to get through it. Lord, help us to know when we need to act and when we need to stand and watch. And we pray, Lord, that you draw us out of those paper boxes, out of our coping strategies, to put our hand in yours, and to walk, and to come home. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.